0: Welcome back to our first question. What is your opinion on the meaning of Bible Commentary, Volume 6, which says the following, quote, reaching the condition of sinlessness, those only who through faith in Christ obey all the commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. They testify to their love of Christ by all of his precepts. So this is pretty straightforward, and and I would encourage you to go to our website. I will answer it, but uh, go to our website and uh, go to our blogs or type in the search engine, Last Generation Theology. And Last Generation Theology, I explain uh, what this means. And it means basically what we just talked about in class. Paul says in Romans 14.23 that anything that is not of faith is sin. And this is talking about those who come, like Job, who through tribulation and trials would not betray his faith in God. He surrendered and trusted, he said, even if God were the one to slay me, yet will I trust him. He didn't understand why, he had many questions, he didn't know what was happening, he was suffering, he was hurting, he had an issue, a bone to pick with God. But at the end of the day, he knew that if he could have a conversation with God, it would all make sense. And so Job was described as being perfect in all of his ways, perfect and righteous in all his ways. He wasn't sinless, he was perfect and righteous. And so what this means, the condition of sinlessness, does not mean that we are physiologically in a... Immortal state that happens at the glorification when this mortal puts on immortality. This talks about our characters being sealed, so settled into the truth, but in, both intellectually and spiritually, that we will not break trust with God. And that's how Adam lived before his rebellion. He lived in faith or in trust until he stopped living in trust and started and broke trust and started living in fear and selfishness. So we're restored to a faith or trust um, relationship with God, and you see that in many of God's friends through history. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Paul, the apostles, they all stood in faith despite the threats that the world could throw upon them and the final generation will still, will have that same faith and trust in God despite the the difficulties they face. So that's what that's talking about. According to this interview with Kevin Burton, who is the director of Center for Adventist Research and Andrew's professor, the shift from, uh, there was, I'm gonna try to read in what I think is happening here. In Adventist literature, they shifted um, it around World War I from describing the beast of Revelation 13, the second beast, from the lamb and dragon toward lamb becoming or, or going to the dragon. In other words, the lamb-like beast is also the dragon-like beast. Um, toward the lamb-like beast will one day become a dragon-like beast. This is the the shift that this prof- uh, that is the, the, he's saying this professor is suggesting around World War I when the FBI approached Adventist church leaders and threatened them with jail time if they didn't alter the way uh, it was presented because the FBI considered the, the way it was being presented as anti-American rhetoric in our publications. And then from that point on, America uh, as a lamb... Uh, like beast will one day become a dragon-like beast. This is what is being presented, and there's a, a lecture here and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not going to make too much over that because in, if you read our if you read our publication on the unmasking the Beast's Uh, I believe that is a dual fulfillment prophecy anyway. If you read Great Controversy, Ellen White actually describes when the United States first came up, it came up with lamb-like principles of religious and uh, liberty and civil liberties and that people from all over the world were flooding to this country because of the freedoms of conscience and protection of conscience that that this nation initially afforded uh, people here uh, and that it would be these specific uh, liberties that would one day be taken away. And it's when those liberties are taken away that the the United States becomes – the beastly system and it isn't beastly ultimately until those freedoms of conscience are taken away so she actually takes the position in great controversy that there is the lamb like uh, um uh, aspects of protecting the freedom of religion that is eventually taken away so you know maybe there were some language changes here I, i'm i'm thinking it's a whole lot to do about nothing because all of the uh all of the nation states of the world were always Satan's anyway, and those principles were were um, established and did allow for the land of liberty and opportunity uh, different from that's ever occurred before, but immediately started being eroded and assaulted by forces in this country and have continually been so. But I see we see that as a dual fulfillment prophecy. The United States is a local, regional application of that uh, prophecy, where the global application, really the, the beast that comes with lamb-like horns or lamb-like claims and ultimately speaks as a dragon, is the, is the ultimate fulfillment. When Satan impersonates Christ as our Savior at the end of time, right before Jesus comes, that's the ultimate fulfillment of that beast. So I, I don't, I'm not going to get too distraught over this. If they want to make something of it, that's fine. In lesson thir- uh, in quarter thirteen, lesson fourteen, you said that the temple is an illustration and not the reality itself, and that it is an object lesson. You read Desire of Ages 161 and further went on to say that you cannot eradicate by erasing you cannot eradicate sin by erasing data on those of those events, but from the but erasing it from the hearts of the living people. Uh, however, on page one hundred thirty three it says, Well, Jesus ministers in the sanctuary above. Also, the books of record in heaven are opened in the judgment their sins we blotted out and the records according to the good deeds and great controversy uh, so so they're they're inferring that perhaps there is a a so this is a great question thank you for bringing this issue forward so that we can have clarity on this the Old Testament sanctuary and the temple were absolute object lessons. There was nothing literal in any of that that brought any salvation. It was all teaching forward to an eternal reality. And if metaphors or object lessons don't have some reality to which they point, then they're fantasy. And so the Old Testament sanctuary service in the Czar of Ages is pointing forward to the to the uh, to the literal. Sadly, many Adventists have simply transferred the location of an inanimate building made out of bricks mortar and stone or stone silver and gold and wood to heaven and they teach that there's this inanimate object in heaven that jesus is doing something to scrub away blood stains on with his own blood and somehow and somehow sin is contaminating this building in heaven and, and jesus is working to get the contamination of the sin which are really list of deeds recorded in some parchments or lambskins in some uh, heavenly structure all of that is symbolic It's not literal. The actual literal real thing, and I would tell you, go back and do your own study. Ask these questions. If I'm looking now not at the sanctuary or temple on earth, but I'm looking at the heavenly sanctuary where Jesus is ministering in our behalf, if I use only inspired sources, what are the building materials of the the heavenly sanctuary? Go to the Bible, go to Ellen White's writing. What is the material that the heavenly sanctuary where Jesus is ministering is constructed from? and if you do your research you're going to discover that the bible and ellen white both teach that the building is built out of jesus christ as the chief cornerstone and we are living stones built together in the house of the lord with the foundation of the apostles and so forth and so on and so the building material of the heavenly sanctuary is not dead inanimate materials it is the living beings you and me are what it's being constructed out of and then when you understand that the temple is constructed out of living beings then you can inquire well then what contaminates the temple it is the sin in the living being that is being incorporated for those who claim faith and say i'm a building block i'm one of the stones of heaven either the sin gets purged from the from the stone or the stone gets purged from the building <laughs> one of the two and so jesus is working to purge sin out of the hearts and minds of sinners and so um, ellen white uh, wrote, and since this this person was quoting Ellen White as a source for um, suggesting that perhaps there is an inanimate building in heaven, uh, here's a couple of very interesting quotes from Ellen White. Let's see if I can pull them up here. Yes, this is out of 3 Manuscript Release 231, 3 Manuscript Release 231. The first tab- tabernacle built according to God's direction was indeed blessed of him. The people were preparing themselves to worship in the temple not made with hands, a temple in the heavens. There, your reference to it. The stones of the temple built by Solomon were all prepared at the quarry and then brought to the temple site. They came together without the sound of axe or hammer. The timbers were also fitted in the forest. The furniture was likewise brought to this house, all prepared for use. Now notice the application. Even so, the mighty cleaver of truth has taken out a people from the quarry of the world and is fitting this people who profess to be the children of God for a place in his heavenly temple. We want the cleaver of truth to do its work for us. We are taken from the quarry of the world. The material must not be a dead substance, but living souls. And these souls must be brought out of the quarry of the world where the hand of God can fit them for the temple in heaven. We are here as probationers, and we must pass under the hand of God. All rough edges and rough surfaces must be removed, and we must be stones fitted for the building. We are brought into church capacity with defects of character, but we must not retain them. We must be fitted and squared for the building. We must be laborers together with God. For we are God's husbandry, we are God's building. In view of this, we must see that our temple is not defiled with sin. We should be lively stones, not dead ones, but live ones that will reflect the image of Christ. And then then there's another quote from Six Letter Manuscript, uh, Letter 51. And this one uh, uses an old word from the 19th century called daguerreotyped and that is of the old form of a photograph so it means photograph now i'm going to replace daguerreotype with photograph when i read this remember your character is being photographed by the great master artist in the record books of heaven as minutely as the face is reproduced on the polished plate of the artist what do the books of heaven say in your case Are you conforming your character to the pattern of Jesus? So putting these things together about a heavenly sanctuary, is made out of living people and what is recorded into the record books according to scriptures, the Lamb books of life, names are recorded there and in the bible names represent character so our individuality our character is recorded there and so when god is cleansing the record books it's not from historical deeds he's cleansing the hearts and minds of his people from fear sin selfishness distrust guilt shame and writing in his living law write my law upon your hearts and minds and thus by writing his law within us the record books where our characters are recorded are being cleansed from the sin that's within us It's all reality-based. And if you want some Bible text to support that, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, Jesus is speaking to John and he says, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Wait, I'm going to be stuck in a building for all eternity, never to be able to travel? No, because the temple is a living temple. It's built out of living beings, and you will be a a temple in this, and you will never leave it. You'll never rebel. You'll never be far away from God again. I will write on him the name of God my God, and the name of the city. That's the character of God. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me, in the city, which is the new Jerusalem. It says, uh, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven. I will also write on him a new name. This is the recreation, the renewal that comes. And if you want to read more about this, get our Cleansing the Bride magazine, Preparing the Church for the Second Coming, where I describe all of this in great detail. So again, there is no literal, inanimate, building made out of bricks, mortar, stone, gold, in which Jesus is working to erase historical facts from books in heaven. There is a temple built out of living beings in which God is working to eradicate all sin and rebellion and bring us into a unity, and God dwells there by his spirit. The next says, uh, I am doing a study in the books of Jeremiah, and uh, Jeremiah Ezra, and Nehemiah, and was wondering if you knew of any resources, extra biblical studies besides Ellen White, that dives into how pagan appeasement myths of the ancient Near East had begun to infect the sanctuary service. I also want to thank you, thank you and your class from the bottom of my heart to help us unlearn penal theologies and relearn how... God's law, his design protocols actually operate. I actually don't have a, a source on the Near East myths infecting the pagan uh, and paganizing some of what was taught in the, uh, in, the, in God's temple system. I would just have to tell you to, to do searches in various other um, Bible commentaries and online sources. Thank you and come and reason ministry team for this ministry. It has been such a blessing to me and my family. My question is, can you do blogs on each chapter of the book of Daniel, bring out things to apply to our lives, things that uh, you think will help our Christian walk? Uh, this would be greatly appreciated. Well, you know, that's a great suggestion. I haven't thought of doing that. I will. I will reflect on that. I like that suggestion, so thank you. My first question is how Lucifer, the anointed covering cherub, Uh, can withstand God's glory and not be destroyed as God is described as a consuming fire. Uh, Lucifer being uh, the covering cherub is presumably closest to God's over. It's a very straightforward answer to that. In the same way the apostles could stand in Jesus' presence when Jesus came, um, God veils to a certain degree the life-giving glory to allow Lucifer to continue to exist for a period of time. You can read about this in the book, It is Finished, Uh, excuse me, the chapter it is finished in the book Desire of Ages, and why was sin permitted in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, um, it was described that had God allowed Lucifer and his rebels to reap the death which their sin naturally causes separation from God, then Uh, Satan would cease to exist, but the lies and fear of God that he told would not cease to exist, and new hearts would be infected with the fear of God, because having never seen death, they wouldn't understand what the cause of it was, and they would falsely conclude that God, in fact, did kill Satan and Lucifer, so God has been acting in mercy to veil the full consequences or to hold at bay the full results of what sin does for the purposes of full revelation and saving all those who can be saved and solidifying angels in their loyalty. So that's a pretty straightforward question. God has mercifully intervened to prevent the spread of sin by allowing Lucifer to continue to exist for the time being. Second question, why, did, uh, why God did not warn Adam and Eve in the garden about talking to the serpent? He did. Uh, He would come to them in the cool of the day. The angels warned them. They had plenty of warning about this and they chose uh, to ignore it. In fact, they were even warned not to separate from each other, that they would be better protected with each other's presence. And Eve um, innocently wandered away and found herself alone near the serpent. So um, God did warn them. Please share your thoughts. It may be necessary to devote even the, uh, yeah, no, um, I'm not gonna share my thoughts on that. This, This person has submitted this question multiple times and uh, every this, my thoughts on this. Every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. So it, it is a place where you have to come to your own conclusion. With respect to uh, Hebrews eleven three, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Inspired uh, perspectives are. Are you familiar with? And if so, what is your opinion? Not that anyone should blindly accept of the supporting evidence of the creator, creation timeline, potential influence of the sources such as, I'm not even understanding this question, I hate to say it, so I'm not going to be able to answer anything here because I'm not even sure what's being asked. So that's it for today. Thank you all very much, and I'll see you in person next week. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.